Hi, my name is Michael Ickes, and I'm a senior creative video specialist at Beanbow Companies. I'm Kayla Barnes, and I'm a recruiter for Beanbow Companies. My name is Miguel Ardiles, and I'm the account receivable associate for Beanbow Companies. So a, a day in the life of a creative video specialist is really diverse at this company um, because we have so many different things that we're working on. And so I could be going from editing a film to taking a picture of a home to flying a drone, uh, all you know before I've had lunch. The day in the life of a recruiter is quite exciting. It is full of interactions, interactions with hiring managers and what their needs are, what their roles are. All money coming into the company comes to me pretty much. So all across the different brands that Beatable Companies has, like from the farm to the event center, like everything, checks, uh, to buy homes, uh, everything comes to me and I see the accounting side of that. I make sure that everything is correctly recorded. My day as a worship um, for me is just an opportunity to invite the Lord to be with me, um, an opportunity to, to be Christ-like. So I think about in worship we become who like who we're worshiping. And so I think about who am I becoming today? Um, what posture is my heart in? What is my soul becoming because of the work that I'm doing? He speaks to me in any way that I give him an opportunity, I have found. Um, and then I just work through with the Lord if I'm supposed to share or is that for me, should I pray in? So my next steps, I'm always waiting for the Lord to show me and grow me. I will have some things on my mind that will come to me whenever I'm praying and then somebody will say something and it's like, oh yeah, you're right, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for, for being there, for being part of it. For instance, if I'm editing a video, am I listening to maybe things that, that God's trying to put into my heart to pay attention to or to bring out? Um, clips to put in, clips to not put in. Um, those kind of little granular decisions, I, I believe that the Lord really cares about and, and He really has something to say. Sometimes things are structured in a way where they only hear from you if something negative happens and you have to be that person who is like, hey, I'm sorry, but you guys made a mistake here, so you need to do it again. And I just ask for grace from God, like to give me wisdom. If you're a follower of Jesus and you have a job, you have a responsibility to bring who you are and what he's put in you into that job. God knows you, you're unique, he has a plan for you. And what does partnering with him look like? for you specifically. You may not have the agency to change an entire organization, um, but you do have the ability to change what you are responsible for. How you do your job, how you treat the people that do the job with you. Um, those are all things that you have complete control over. There's a right way of doing things, the way that He commanded us, what the Bible shows, and God, God knows our efforts. He knows everything that we do and He will reward it. There's, if we have anything, it's by grace. So as long as we're trying our best, I think that God rewards that. He's there and He, he we just want to worship Him as much best as we can and that is done through our work as well. You know, I was introduced to this idea of workers' worship when I went down to Lubbock, Texas, what, three years ago about? 
And I hear phrases like workers worship and God's your CEO and relational leadership, like your people is your mission. I heard these phrases before, but I have no idea what it actually means in real life. You know what I'm saying? I heard that, you know, your, your, work, your consecration should be everywhere you go, beyond just the church. Your mission field is out there, not just in the four walls of the church. I hear these terms, but what does that actually mean? I've never really seen the true demonstration of these really cool terms in, very, in real life. And when I went down to Lubbock and I went to this company called Beaten Bull Companies, I interact in the, at this conference called Kingdom at Work, which we'll talk about later. I saw that they've integrated these principles into every part of their business. In fact, it's one of the main reasons why their business has been so successful. I have, you know, I'm a church kid. I'm a pastor's kid. My wife is a pastor kid. I grew up in the church, literally. I, I was raised in the seminary in Taiwan. And I have never seen these principles lived out like this way before. Work is worship. Worship is work. And when I saw this, it just hit me so hard. I'm like, wow. This is what the kingdom of God is supposed to look like. Not just within the four walls of the church. The principle of his kingdom should be communicated, should be lived out in the church, at home, our workplace, on your drive to work, in your softball games. It should be everywhere we go because every dominion belongs to the king, Jesus Christ. And that's what hit me so hard. And this message, Workers' Worship, is the life message of our keynote speaker this weekend. I'm going to introduce him in a second. You know, Walter Cunningham is the board member of Beanville Companies. And, and he brings to the board, I mean, part of everything that they are, brings these key messages to everything they did. This afternoon, we had a great time fellowshipping with Walter. I brought him to share... Um, some wisdom, some knowledge with my team. And we just talk about kingdom. We talk about relational leadership. We talk about what's it, what does it really mean to lead on the high capacity. Okay, how do we really lead by serving each other? This stuff is real. It takes vulnerability. It takes transparency. It takes love. It takes heart. Walter has been an amazing friend to me. Amazing confidant and amazing mentor to me. And I just want to share real quick, it's interesting because Bean Bill Companies had an intro video for Walter. And he's like, I don't, I'm not a big fan of it. If you want to use it, use it. I was listening to it. I was trying to incorporate my own introduction Walter. And I was trying to incorporate the video introduction Walter. I'm like, I can't make both fit. So I'm just going to introduce him instead. Walter has been an amazing friend. You know, he, they're down in Lubbock, Texas. We're in northwest Indiana. And when I talk to Walter, he's like, can I help you? Can I encourage you? So on a weekly basis, he mentors me. He encourages me. He pours wisdom and knowledge. And he keeps me accountable. Why would you do that to some random pastor in northwest Indiana? Because his vision is not just about business. It's about the kingdom of God. Here's a man who truly lives for God's kingdom. He's been an amazing friend, amazing confidant, mentor. I appreciate him for his wisdom, his vulnerability, which truly just, it's crazy. His compassion, his passion for excellence. And I also admire him because he's not impressed I'm a pastor. He calls me out. And every one of us needs friends like that, right? Who says, you know what, I love you, but I'm going to give you some truth right here. I'm going to keep you accountable for this, especially when I fall short. I'm excited to see everything that God's going to do in Walter this weekend. So will you guys stand up and welcome Walter Cunningham to the stage with me.
Sergio. I don't even know what to do now. Like, I wasn't expecting that. I'm going to borrow one of these just to set some things on. So I'm from West Texas. So we say things like, hey, y'all. Okay, thank you, David. I appreciate that. Let's try that again. Hey, y'all. Or just, hey, it's cool. It's good to be in Northwest Indiana. We're honored to be here. My wife and I, Madon, got in last night, and it's been nothing short of absolutely amazing to fellowship with people that we love. We call friends. We call brothers and sisters. Uh, it's a true joy. And it's, it's good to be in God's house. But you know what? We can do this anywhere. I'm glad we're here, but we can do this anywhere. And tonight, what I want to do is I'm going to tell a couple of stories. You might be wondering, what in the world is an exercise bike? So am I. I'm like, what are we going to do tonight? This is going to be fun. And what are these chairs up here for? Well, before I jump in to our conversation deeply, I want to say a couple things from, from the heart that are off script. I trust that Holy Spirit will. This was for someone in this room. You know, we, we, can, we can admire a lot about speakers. I know I do when I go to a place like, like this and I'm looking to somebody and expecting some wisdom. Can I just say we're real humans? We don't get this right every time, but we're committed. And I'm, I'm honored to be in a room full of people who would invest and are committed. So don't look at me as though I have this figured out. We look to him for all the answers. And hopefully along the way, we can share some experiences. So that's what's tonight. That's what the next 24 hours-ish. I know we're not going to stay here for all 24 of them. Maybe Hotam would like us to. I don't know. <laughs> but it's just about sharing some real-life experiences. Can we, can we agree on that today? That this is about sharing real experiences and getting to a place where we can say, I haven't figured it all out, but I want to learn, and I want to take the next right step. So, one, we are honored by Living Stones and its commitment. We're honored by market, marketplace ministries like Market Share. It's just an honor to be with you guys. And, and so, tonight, what I want to start with is a story of what I'm going to call three chairs. So, I want you to join me. This is going to be what we call chair one. Can you say chair one? Chair one. It's pretty comfy. It's kind of nice. I'm looking forward to that chair. Chair two. Can you say chair two? I think I'm going to turn this just ever so... Oh, nope, I'm not. We'll call that chair two and we'll just leave it alone. Chair three. You with me? Chair three. Chair one is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Okay, that's what that's going to represent for us tonight. So walk with me. This is a story um, that comes from my life. I, I didn't come up with this analogy. I've borrowed it. You know, the best things we can do is borrow things from really, really smart individuals. Chair one represents the kingdom of God. Chair two represents the kingdom of self. Say kingdom of God. Kingdom of self. And this is what I like to think of is chair three life apart from Christ. 
You might call it the domain of darkness. You might call it the, the kingdom of the world. Kingdom of the world. Say that with me. But it's a dark place. It's pretty lonely. I don't know about you, but I'm glad we're not sitting in those chairs for the rest of our time together, right? That's a pretty uncomfortable place. So let me, let me back up. This summer, my family and I, along with several of our dear friends from Beatonbow, got to spend some time in Austria alongside one of our longtime ministry partners. And I ran into a gentleman who's now become a dear friend of mine. His name is Leif Hetland. Anybody heard that name? Leif and I now talk almost daily. Um, I had an encounter with the Lord that rocked my world. If you don't believe me, come ask Madonna on a break what I mean when I say that, because we just don't have time for it tonight. Had an encounter with the Lord that, that, that turned my world upside down and in, in such a beautiful way. And Leif was there teaching, and he gave a very similar analogy from his own life. He used different props, but he talked about these three chairs. And so unapologetically, I said, Leif, can I borrow this analogy and adapt it for my own, for my story? And like a kingdom leader, he said, you know what? That doesn't belong to me. God is writing that story in my heart. And yeah, use it. If it's, if it's relevant, use it. And I know some of us are leaders in our organization, some of us are owners, and some of us show up into an organization every day in which somebody else is a leader or somebody else is the owner. And what we're going to talk about in the Avodah conference over the course of the next few hours applies to everyone. So we're going to begin this journey. We're talking about identity and spiritual calling, but it's not because I'm a leader that I want you to pay attention to. It's because I'm a son. And the story of three chairs, gosh, are there allergens? Because there's allergies in West Texas. I have this problem in West Texas. I didn't think I'd have it in Northwest Indiana. The story of, the story of three chairs for me is a really powerful story because I sit and I have sat in all three of these chairs. And I want to invite you on this little journey with me for a minute. So let's pretend we know that there are about 7 billion people on planet Earth. Okay? I'm not saying we know them all. But there's about 7 billion people on planet Earth. And every single one of them, that includes you and me, if you can hear my voice or you listen to this on a recording later, that includes us. These chairs represent the posture of our heart or seasons of our life. You know, when I was eight years old, I wanted to think I was a good kid. But sitting in the bathroom with my mom after having told her a bold-faced lie, you know what she did? She loved me well. And she said, that cannot stand. Now, she didn't have the analogy of three chairs for me in that moment, but I know exactly where I was sitting in that moment. I was sitting in a life apart from, from Jesus. I'd gone to church up to that point and continued going to church, but I didn't have a relationship. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And this is, a, this is a cold chair. I'll never forget that moment. She invited me with a question to consider a different path. She didn't change me. She didn't do something to me. She just asked a really important question. 
Do you want to do this differently? Do you want to live apart from Jesus or do you want to have a relationship with him? And I said yes to something that I never really understood. And in that moment when I said yes, you know what happened is God took me from chair three, a life apart from him, and put me into this amazing chair that I really had no context for. I'm sorry, this thing's going to block us, so I'll move it out of the way for a minute. I really didn't have a context for what just happened in that moment. Lost, found. If you've not yet experienced that and you're hearing this, there's a different way. Do you want something different? Somebody here would love to talk to you about that tonight. I'm not going to spend the, the rest of our time in that space, but chair one is a place of rest. It's warm, it's comfortable, it's inviting. It's sitting with a father who loves you, who loves me. But do you know as fast as I made this transition from chair three to chair one, or he helped me make that transition? No sooner did I do that than I went back to some old habits. What am I talking about? In chair one, let me, let me, you realize from this position in this seat, the kingdom is an amazing place. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. You realize that it's not about the things of this world. Your focus is not on problems, but on opportunities. At eight years old, I didn't understand any of this. At 46, I'm still learning a lot about it. Haven't arrived. You're not living from a place of what Leif referred to as an orphan spirit, but a place of adoption. And I didn't understand that transition in that moment. And you know what? This summer I learned it afresh, again, anew. What does it mean? The Holy Spirit comes and rests. You know, I appreciated Andrew. He, he started by inviting Holy Spirit to be the place and the posture for the rest of our time together. But it's not a place of visitation. It's a place of habitation with Holy Spirit. Like, he lives with me. When I'm sitting in chair one, the posture of my heart is we're cohabitating together. He's with me everywhere I go, and it's a place of rest. You know what I'm saying? It's a place of rest. It's a posture of rest. You and I know our identity as son or daughter. So I'm going to ask you the question, do you know your identity as son or daughter? And in you, that may stir up some feelings that are not yet fully son or daughter. Tonight, he wants to change that. Tonight, he wants to renew your understanding and renew your mind If you're taking notes and you want to write something down, this might be the place to write down the order of priority from chair one. You learn to put things in the right order when you're in chair one. It is you learn to be so that you can have, so that you can do. I am a son. 
I have access to everything that my father has for me. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, but in reality, I have everything I need. I have provision. I have clothing. I have shelter. I have everything. And then we get to do some things together in this place called the kingdom. So I am, I have, and I get to do. That's chair one. As soon, literally, as soon as I moved from chair three into chair one in that moment at eight years old, no sooner did I get there than I went back to some habits that were really comfortable for me. I'm going to try this and see if I can not kill myself in the process. Okay? No sooner did I understand that I got into chair two and started striving. Anybody performer? You see, it's really easy for me to distort my understanding, and I put those those three words in a different order. I must do things for him so that I can... Well, you, you think about this. What's next, right? I must do. I must perform so that I can have some of his stuff so that I can be someone of, of importance. Anybody feel that? If I knew what I was doing on this bike, I could probably pedal pretty fast. Am I going anywhere? No, but I've got a lot of activity, don't I? I'm really excited about the activity. Really excited about that activity. You see, the posture of our heart can quickly move from chair one to chair two. And let me be clear, there's a bright line over here. Once I've moved from the domain of darkness or the kingdom of the world into the kingdom of God, my future is secure. But my present, there's some decisions that I'm going to be making and they have consequences, right? We have decisions that we face every day in our life and they have real consequences. If we're married, how I treat my spouse has real consequences, right? What's the, what's the quality and the, the level of relationship that I have with my wife or my husband? If I'm a parent, decisions I make every day have consequences with those ch children. And so our hearts can move between chair one and chair two in an instant. It is so easy for me to move from a posture of rest to a posture of striving. I don't know about you, but that is, that is almost instantaneous for me. Like I can do that in a moment's notice. Insecurity creeps in. That's an orphan spirit. You know what I'm saying? I don't understand my posture and my position as son or daughter. I feel like I have to earn it again. And man, I did that for years. I wish somebody had said, hey, you've moved out of a posture of rest into a posture of striving. 
and I love my parents, I, I honor them, but they didn't know different. Performance is what they invited. You know what I'm saying? I don't fault them for that, but it's what they invited and it's what I did. I actually found a lot of comfort and solace in the striving. How many of us today find comfort in striving? It's, it's a really easy posture of our heart. Have you ever felt like you were under pressure to perform because it's what you do that makes you who you are? You don't need to be a leader to feel that, right? As an eight-year-old, I felt it. Where in our lives are we feeling like my performance equals my role, my identity? And I... I, I I'd venture to say we're all, we're all wrestling with that somewhere, even maybe right now. I think Holy Spirit might be showing some of us where we have moved from chair one into chair two, where the posture of our heart has moved from son in rest, daughter in rest, having everything I need and being invited to co-labor with him, to cooperate, to collaborate with him, my father, in the space that I show up on Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday versus, you know what, I've got I've I've to get that report done faster. I've got to get that turned in quicker. I need to be better at my job. Don't mistake what I'm saying. I'm not saying pursue excellence is not a God-given kingdom principle. What I'm saying is the posture of my heart can quickly move to, I have to do things for him to be in his good graces. So our identity, what Leif said to me so lovingly after this encounter is, God just planted a seed of love in your heart. You just experienced the father's love in a new season, in a new way. And I was so frustrated when I came back because I was dealing with all kinds of junk. I was dealing with insecurity. I was dealing with feelings of abandonment, feelings of being alone. And you know, those, those feelings were not true, but they were real. Anybody know what I'm saying? And immediately I wanna get back on this bike and I called Leif and I said, hey, this, this junk you sold me, like it doesn't work. And he said, whoa, 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 whoa. I want you to remember what I said. When God touches you and helps you see that there's a difference between chair one and chair two, in order to move from chair two to chair one, some ugly has to come out. So the feelings that you're feeling, you should bless God and say thank you because that's the stuff that has to come out of your heart and out of your life in order to, to really embrace living in chair one. Ironically, two weeks after we came back from Austria, I had a mountain biking accident and shattered my collarbone in a rib and my collarbone was in four pieces. And I was angry. Anybody been angry? Anger is an emotion. What or how I get angry is probably the problem, right? And so God and I were having a real frank conversation. It's okay, he can handle frank. He can handle our honesty. And I was like, why did you take away one of the things that I love? And he said, I'm sorry, my son. 
I gave you the ability to ride a bike. What do you mean, did I take away? And of course, this is not an audible conversation. If I'm freaking somebody out right now, like it's a, it's a over the course of several hours, I feel these things in my spirit. God, why, why did you take away something I love? Why would you put me on my backside? Why am I in pain? Why am I dealing with this? Don't you know, like I, I had an amazing encounter with you. He's, yeah, I know. Who are you is the question I kept hearing. Who are you? And I answered back with lots of what I had done. You tracking with me? I had lots of answers for what I had done. But he said, again, that's not the question. Who are you? And what he was doing is gently reminding me that I put my love, I have embraced you, I have hugged you. That's what I felt as a father loves. And you're the one refusing it. I'm standing here with my arms open, ready to embrace you again. Why do you keep turning around and walking away? And all that stuff has to come out. It has to come out of me. And he wanted to heal me of that. So as I'm in the operating room waiting to go under anesthesia, I'm still frustrated, still having that honest conversation with him. Come out, I'm frustrated. You know, he keeps reminding me, I have healed you and I am healing you. Like if you were to look at the wound right up here, it looks beautiful. It's amazing. Like it is healing. It is healed. It is, it's, I mean, it's, the doctor, the orthopedic surgeon was like, that looks amazing. Like that's, and I was like, are you patting yourself on the back? Like what's happening right now? I love you, buddy, but, and you're a dear friend of mine, but like I can't use this shoulder and this arm the way I want to. And he said, no, wait a minute. This is going to come in stages. We were looking at an x-ray and I was frustrated because I can still see four distinct bone fragments. And he's like, I see progress. And I was like, hey, can you show me what you see? And he's like, well, I see a hint of bone growth right here. And I said, you said hint. Like, where's the bone? And he said, oh, did I not, did I not tell you that it's going to be a year before you see what you're looking for to be complete? And in that moment, he's a dear friend of ours, a neighbor right down the street. He's in my living room. And I'm, I'm, I'm again wrestling. I'm back over on the bike, striving. Like, when do I get to get back to what I love? When do I get to do things? And, and the father so gently says, you're a son. Who are you? You're my son. And I have so much for you. I have healed you and I am healing you. But I need you to remember who you are before we go do things together. You see, I want to do things for him. How many want to do things for God instead of doing things with God? So let, our, let the time that we're going to spend together over the next few hours be a gentle but a firm reminder in each of our spirits that he wants to do things with us. He doesn't need us, but he loves us and he wants to do things in us and through us. He wants to co-labor with us. But it begins with, where's our heart? Is it striving or is it resting? So I want to invite us. Let's just, I want to pray that over this room right now, that our posture and our heart. So Holy Spirit, we say welcome. Have your way. Begin the work of putting our hearts in a posture of rest. 
God, do the work that only you can do. And do it now. Begin now. Heal the wounds where if we didn't have a relationship with our earthly father or it is a broken relationship, God, you have a perfect picture of what it looks like to be in relationship with you as our father. And so, God, would you heal right now? Would you begin that work of restoration and healing? And would the rest of our time together be a posture of rest? So we invite the posture of rest now. In the mighty name, the name above all names, the King of kings, our big brother Jesus, we say thank you and we bless you, Lord. Amen. All right. So throughout our time together, if I say chair one, I want you to remember where we began because it will be really easy throughout even our time where we might find ourselves wanting to go perform, wanting to go strive, wanting to go change something. And what I want the posture of our heart to be is, Lord, what do you want to do? Let's ask the question before we assume we know. As leaders, we might have the agency, as my friend Michael said, to change something. As team members, we have a lot of influence. You have more influence than you recognize today. God wants you to hear that. He wants you to know that he has you in a place, and that place is the place where he's placed you for a season. And in that place, he wants you to bring who he created you to be fully. Every decision matters. Everything that we're going to do in that space matters. What did Jesus say? His first recorded words, Matthew 4, 17, repent. What does that word mean? Change our minds, right? It means to turn and think differently. So today we're beginning with a new, a new frame of reference. Chair one is a different way of thinking. Maybe you've heard that analogy. Maybe, you, maybe you've even read a book that Leif wrote about it. But he wants you to see that afresh today. He wants you to see it that repentance is, is, a, is a daily thing. That metaneo experience is a daily thing. But the kingdom of heaven is also what he wants you to pay attention to. Where you go each day, Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday, if your work takes you into Sunday, there's no judgment. Where you go for your place of work is where the kingdom can be. Where you go for your place of work, what you call your job can be the kingdom of heaven because you're there. And you may not have the agency to change it, but we do have the ability to do exactly what he said here, seek first his kingdom. And that's a posture of our heart. I could be frustrated by the things that I can't change or I can rest in the knowledge that God put me there because he wants me to have influence in a place that may not have a kingdom influence. Are you hearing me? He put you there. And he invited us to seek first his kingdom. And his right way of doing things, righteousness, I got lost in that theologically for years. Like, what does that mean? Where can I? It means his right order of things. Now, I'm not trying to oversimplify. It means a lot of things, but it means his right order. So where you go on Monday, 
when you're in a meeting on Tuesday, when you're turning in something that has been requested of you from your leader on Wednesday, those are opportunities to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Is that the posture of your heart? Are you resting saying, God, what does it look like to co-labor with you in that space right now? And he promises something there. Everything will be added. I don't think we believe that promise. In practice, we don't because we try to strive, right? We don't believe that because we strive to get it. So where are you striving? I love you. But let's get to the heart of the matter. Where are you striving? Where, where are you trying to perform because you think that's going to get something done? Now, I'm not saying don't bring excellence. Make no mistake, in God's kingdom, excellence is what he desires from us, no matter what our role is. It might be homemaker. It might be housewife. It might be parent. Wherever you show up is where the kingdom will be. And he cares about that place because you're there. He cares about you intimately and deeply, and he puts you there. You might go, I don't think that's true. We could arm wrestle over that with my right arm, not my left arm. I can't arm wrestle with that arm yet. But he puts you there, and he also put you there as a son or a daughter with influence. I like this verse in Acts. So, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about, what did Jesus talk about? If you have 40 days, if we all knew that today was day one of 40 days that we had left on this earth, what would we invest our time talking about? Probably something that mattered deeply to us. Can we agree on that? Jesus knew his days were numbered. He said over and over and over, I go so that I can leave you with a better, a better gift. But what did he talk about? He didn't talk about the church. He loves the bride. He loves the body. He talked about the kingdom. When I say the word kingdom, what image comes to your mind? How many of us, th of us think first of something like this? It's one of the first pictures I have in my head, and it's one of the first pictures when I talk to somebody for the first time about when we say the word kingdom, it's the, it's the most recognizable thing. A castle. But really, what does that signify? It's the place where the king lives. The place where the king rules from. So, where do you show up on Tuesday? Maybe you don't leave the house, but that's your place where you show up on Tuesday. Maybe you show up to a place where somebody else gets to dictate what's going on. And maybe it feels like dictation is actually what's going on. I know I've worked in environments where that was the truth. And that's not necessarily fun. A king and a kingdom they're kind of foreign concepts in our world today, right? We love democracy. We actually live in a democratic republic. I'm not going to get lost on that, right? There's a difference, right? So be careful what you say because sometimes what we say is actually not the truth. 
It's because we've been socialized to say some things. So if we're going to talk about the kingdom, then we should say what that actually means. It's where the king actually has authority and what he or she could be a queen, right? It was in England for a while. What they say goes. And I think our view of king and kingdom can often be skewed by this idea of dictator, ultimate authority, sovereign. The father is not that. He is sovereign, but he is not a dictator. He does have ultimate authority and ability, but what he wants for us is to sit in chair one and rest and have access to a lot of things, but it's not about the things. It's about co-laboring with him, advancing this thing called the kingdom, expanding territory. I, I love pastors. I do. Their call is unique and special, but it's not less than that of a kingdom leader. And you know what? You're a kingdom leader if you're a parent and you're submitted to God's kingship. You're a kingdom leader in your home. So take authority. Take the authority he has granted you as a leader, as a parent. Are you submitted to his kingship? Are you willing to be ruled from the kingdom of heaven? But it's not a dictatorship. Are you willing to show up at that place of work and go, God, I trust that you're an ultimate authority here, but I am under this individual's authority, and I'm, gonna, I'm going to do some things that maybe I would do differently if I had the, the decision-making ability, but you know what I do have is influence. And I have the ability to create an atmosphere around me that is different. Am I going to live in the fullness of that ability or not? That's our challenge, right? That's where we get to, to live from today. Somebody asked me, what's your definition of a kingdom? So I'll, we finally tried to write something down, and this is not my definition, but I like it. The kingdom of God, it's the reign of God dynamically active in human history. Dynamically active. Yes, it ends with the final establishment of the new heavens and the new earth. But it's here right now. We're living in it. It is here already, but not fully. And we can live in the mindset of it's coming, and so I don't really have any responsibility. And that's, that's a dangerous mindset. In fact, it's not living in the fullness of what God's invited us to live in. And it ends with me personally being back on this bike from a heart posture. I start striving again. If I think it's coming, well, I'm striving to try to get there. No, it's here. And I'm going to rest in my sonship. I'm inviting each of you to rest in your son or daughtership and recognize that your identity must be squarely rooted in that, rooted and grounded in love. That's what Paul talks about in Ephesians. We'll talk about that tomorrow some more. But it's not about waiting for it to come. It's actually participating in its coming. Are you hearing me? We're active participants, not passive bystanders. 
So what are we acting? Am I striving? Am I resting? And am I, am I asking God, what does it look like to bring your kingdom into today? I think we get caught up in our, in our role and misappropriate our role from, from an understanding of our identity. So I want that to be really, really clear. And it may not yet be fully clear for you, but I want it to be clearer today than it was yesterday. You know, to, to followers of Jesus, regardless of whether you're sitting in chair one or chair two, he's given, he's permitted us to understand the secrets of the kingdom, the mysteries, as it says in other, other translations. I like the secrets. Who doesn't like to know a good secret, right? Probably inappropriately, we like to know things, and that turns into something else in our heart. But when we know the secrets of the kingdom, then we can bring them out into the open. We have opportunity through influence. And I loved what our recruiter said. She, you know, she gets to work with hiring managers and potential employees future employees, not yet employees in our company. And she gets to, to ask, Jesus, what do you want me to show up like today? And sometimes that's a smile. There's a lot of things she said that didn't make this video cut. She said, sometimes it's a smile. Sometimes I just get to be an encouragement to them. That's a secret of the kingdom. It's no longer secret. So welcome. <laughs> you know that. You can't unknow what you now know. So when you show up Tuesday, wherever you show up, are you an encouragement? Are you acting out of your son or daughtership? Are you being an encouragement to the team that you're a part of? Maybe a lot of your work is done by yourself, but you interact with people. And when you interact, do you, do you have enough margin in your day to say, God, what do you want to, to do with this interaction? That's a secret of the kingdom. I get the chance. I might not be able to change the outcome of this team, but I'm going to interact with this teammate or this customer. What is that interaction going to be about? God, it's an opportunity to seek first your kingdom. So what does that mean? How can I be an encouragement? How can I be an, ex an example of the hands and feet of Jesus? Do I have enough margin? And do I even think about that? Like, I need to be reminded. Madonna's a great reminder. She's like chief reminding officer for me. Who have you allowed? Do you have margin in your day for, for Holy Spirit to bring somebody in and use to invest in them? Often she'll ask me that question before I leave the house in a rush because I'm off to the races. <laughs> and that's been for years. It's not new today. It's been for years. And I get to do that for her. We get to do that for one another. That's iron on iron. So where's there a margin for being an encouragement? That's a secret of the kingdom. How many feel like things have been shaken recently? Lots of things have been shaken. Over the last three years, our, our world is different. And I'm not praying we go back to some pseudo-normal. I don't know about you, but my heart is encouraged that as things are shaken, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is the only unshakable thing. So the things that remain, that is up to those of us who understand the secrets and the mysteries, our charge and our challenge when we see our work as meaningful is to bring the unshakable. 
Are you bringing the unshakable into the space where you go on Thursday morning? Do you reflect that? That's not said in condemnation. It's said in love. What does that look like? It looks like being encouragement. It looks like speak graciously but truthfully. Love is the secret sauce, we like to say. You know, a culture of the kingdom is a culture of love. All of our life must be under his rule, if any of our life is to be under his rule. So we can compartmentalize things really, really quickly. Human nature is to put things in buckets or compartments. Men are especially good at this. All the ladies said yes. Men are especially good at compartmentalizing things and saying, that's my work bucket. This is my hobby bucket. Don't let those two things, and by the way, don't, nope, the people in them will not commingle. All of our life, that includes our work. I'm going to invite you to see your work as something different beginning today. And I know I'm probably not saying something brand new, but I hope there's a challenge that is new that Holy Spirit's actually putting in your heart right now. A place, a person, a relationship, an interaction, that you can do that differently. So what I want to do is encourage you. Will you take the first step one, to recognize, am I, am I in a posture of rest? And from a posture of rest, how can I show up on Saturday if my work is on Saturday? How can I show up as a parent Tuesday evening? It's been a long day. I'm tired. Right? This is not compartmentalized to the places of work. All of our life can be work unto God. And he loves every part of it. Do we? I love this quote by Martin Luther. I'm going to read most of it. The work of monk and priest, however holy and arduous they may be, do not differ one whit in the sight. Now, that's not language I had. I had to, like, understand what that actually means, but... Translation, doesn't matter a bit in the sight of God or does not differ a bit in the sight of God from the works of the rustic laborer in the field or the woman going about her household tasks. All works are measured before God by what? Faith alone. Many of us have been socialized to believe that work is less than. That when we go to the restaurant and serve as a, as a, as a hostess, as a, as a waiter. When we go to that construction site and work as a laborer, when we go to that dentist's office as a hygienist and clean teeth every day, my goodness, thank you, Lord, you didn't put me in that business. I'd be in trouble. He probably will put me in that business just out of humor. All of these things matter deeply to the heart of the Father. Your work matters. There is nothing too small. 
He cares about every decision. And I love that I didn't have to ask these guys that were on that film. Like, that's, that's what God put in their heart. Like, they don't get to do that just because they work for Beat and Bow. That's who God created them to be. Like, they're telling their story. And yes, we invite that. And as leaders, we make space for that. But even if we didn't, that's who they are. You hear what I'm saying? Even if they didn't work, and not all of them have always worked for Beat and Bow Companies. So they've been youth pastors. They've been warranty coordinators. They've been lots of things outside of Beat and Bow Companies. And that's who God made them to be. They are sons and daughters. And to see their work in a redemptive light, to see what they do on Tuesday morning in a light of this matters to God and he would care about how I even take this drone footage for a film. He would care about that. Yes, he would. He does deeply care about everything and he wants to be a part of it all. But where's our heart? Are we over here striving, inviting him along for the ride? or resting, asking him, what is working with you today look like? Every decision has that potential. Okay, let's, let's do this. In the beginning, God, so what did he do? He worked, right? He went to work from the very beginning. So if he did it, if he worked, then he also created us to work to work and keep. So, how many of you have heard this word before? Avodah. Okay, it's a Hebrew word. In the language God gave his people, avodah, avodah, as Rick Beatenbow says, avodah. <laughs> Good old West Texas slang, right? I don't know what the pound sign means. I think that's like translation error somewhere in probably my character, so that's not part of Hebrew, so forgive that. <laughs> that's just humor. I don't know. God, I tried to, tried to copy and paste, and it didn't work, so yeah, you're welcome. That was free. Avodah. In the language God gave his people, that word has a lot of meaning. It doesn't mean just one thing. Uh, so let's start with the first instance in Genesis 2.15. What does that say? The Lord God took the man and put him where? To do what? Work and keep. That word work is avad. It's not quite avodah. It's a different you know, verb, noun. You get, you get it. I'm not, a, I'm not an English major, so I'm going to get in trouble real quick here. But that word work, avad. So when our English translators translated, they chose to put that as work. And I love that. The next scripture that comes to mind, Exodus 8.1, this is what the Lord says, let my people go. So who's talking here? Moses is about to talk to Pharaoh, a world leader, a dominant world leader. Who's Moses? Effectively a nobody at that moment. God's chosen, but effectively a nobody, didn't, didn't didn't believe he actually had the ability to speak. What did he do? He went and said, I can't do this. I need to take him. He can talk. I can't talk. 
He argued with the Lord. God finally relents and says, yeah, take Aaron. He can talk. Sure, whatever. Who, who utters this? Moses. This is what the Lord says. Let my people go so that they may... When you say the word worship, what do you think of? Right up here, right? Like guitar, drums. That's most people's context for worship. Singing, praising the Lord, raising hands. Not raising hands, depending on your tradition. <laughs> Don't judge me if I raise my hands. I can raise this hand now. That's a beautiful thing. Worship, same word, avad. Why do you suppose they chose to translate it differently? I wish I could answer that. The English language has lots of words, and they chose a different context. But the Lord, he, he had one word for all of this. But as for me and my house, Joshua, end of this book, but as for me and my household, we will serve. Guess what? Same word. Avodah has three distinct meanings, at least in the English language. Work, worship, serve. But to our Heavenly Father, He doesn't see a difference. He made no distinguish, distinguishments in the language He gave His people. So they could have easily translated this one, work. As, I, as they work for the Lord. Could have said worship. Why do we make it something different? I think that's actually the enemy trying to take something and distort it and get us off track. You hearing me? I think he wants us in chair two. Yes, my eternity is secure, but my future's in question because I'm over here striving. I'm, I'm distracted and I'm not focused on resting and being so that I can have, so that I can co-labor with my Father. You see, I think he wants us distracted. He wants us off task. How many of you get distracted easily? Squirrel. <laughs> I can do that in a heartbeat. And you know what? I need to be reminded of my focus. And so what we want avodah to be is not a Hebrew word. We want it to be a posture of our heart. Do I see every day what I'm doing in an Excel spreadsheet, in a web browser, with a shovel? No matter what I do every day, audiovisual, like these guys are making this so easy for me. And that work back there is meaningful to the Lord. Not because it's in a church. Did you hear me? Not because it's in living stones, but because if they will see it as worship, then it's, it is a sweet-smelling savor in, in the Father's nostrils. So our work has meaning and it has value. Let's reclaim that. I invite you today to take back your work. Are you willing? Are you willing to take back your work and see it as worship? See it as service? See it as meaningful to your Heavenly Father? He wants that. He desires that, but it's going to have to be from a place of identity, understanding that I'm going, to, I'm going to rest today. We're going to work hard. We're going to worship hard. We're going to serve hard, but I'm going to do it from a heart posture of rest. I'm not trying to achieve his favor. I want to live with him, work with him, worship 
with him every day, every step. I hope you believe that your work matters to God. And that's the work of parenting. It's the work of being a spouse. It's the work of working for someone, working with someone. The place does not matter. The context does not matter. Did you hear me? Your work matters profoundly. I love this verse from Acts. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and they realized that they were, so this describes me, unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with who? Jesus. They were resting. Now, there were, there were moments when Jesus had to correct his team. <laughs> How many times do you have to correct Peter? A few. I appreciate that because, you know, he had to correct me again this summer. And he'll have to correct me again probably this weekend. And it's out of love. It's not out of being harsh. He puts me in an understanding of I'm, I'm striving. Walter, I love you. Why, why are you striving again? Why are you on that bicycle going nowhere fast? I love you. Do you want to sit down? Like, let's get a drink of water and let's talk about what we're going to do together. He loves you. He wants that for you. And he'll do it not through people who are wise by worldly standards. And I'm not knocking education. I love it. I'm not knocking pastors. I love them. I'm not knocking any role, what I am actually saying is he wants and needs the entire body of Christ functioning from this posture. He invites that of us. He wants that for us. But we have to take a step of obedience to get off the bike. So will you get off the bike today? Our work in the marketplace is our spiritual calling. Your work matters deeply to God. It is your calling. You might go, I'm not sure what my calling is. Well, where are you? That is your calling for right now. Now, he might change that calling. That's not up to me. Are you having a conversation with him about it? Are you resting? Or are you striving? Your work in the marketplace is your spiritual calling, and it is sacred. Your work is no less than or greater than that. The calling of a pastor, it's not. And if you've been socialized to believe that the work of ministry is for the church, and I know that's not the posture of living stone, so if you're here, you're probably not under that disillusionment. I was for years. I felt like I had to leave the marketplace to be in the ministry. And that couldn't be further from the truth. If you're at the church and you're working at the church and that's where God has you, that is your place and that is your calling. And that is ministry. Did you hear me? It is ministry. But if you're in a dentist office, you're a parent, you're a stay-at-home mom, you are a sole proprietor, you're a small business startup, you're a lawyer, that is sacred work. Are you submitted to the king and are you bringing his lordship and kingship into that place? Are you allowing him to rule and reign from a posture of rest so that his people, that includes you, he wants you to flourish 
and his kingdom may come more so today. So Father, we ask right now that the posture of our heart would be that of rest, that it would be that of, if I'm on the bike right now, Lord, and you want me to sit down, then I say yes. I answer that call of rest. I answer your call as a son and a daughter. God, I want to be rooted and grounded in your love so that I may flourish and that those around me may flourish, that your kingdom may come, that your will may be done on earth as it's already being done in heaven. So God, allow me to see that afresh tonight as we talk, as we fellowship, as we dive into what does this look like in our hearts. God, will you stir something new and fresh? Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name. Amen.